As the growing season kicks into gear in neighborhoods all across the country, the levels of ground-level ozone and smog-producing air pollution begin to increase rapidly. Not because more people are driving cars on any given day, but rather because Americans bring out their arsenals of gas-powered lawn equipment and spend hours each day belching toxic fumes and pollutants into the air. This ground-level pollution, unlike the fumes coming from industrial smokestacks or multi-lane highways, is right where we breathe, in our yards, neighborhood streets, parks, and golf courses. In addition to invisible toxic fumes like carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, various organic molecules from the imperfect combustion of gasoline, the equipment, especially high-speed mowers and leaf blowers, also belches clouds of dust that include soil particles, pesticide and fertilizer residues from your lawn, driveway and the street, and even dog poop particles from your or your neighbor's pet. It's hard to write a happy story about an encounter with a leaf blower. People seem to have forgotten that rakes are environmentally friendly, don't pollute, and can be a great source of outdoor exercise. Raking leaves by hand used to be a family-friendly activity when I was growing up. Hi, I'm Kate Sussman, a biologist at Vassar College in Poughkeepsie, New York, for the Toxic Lawn podcast series. I am examining the many harmful effects of our obsession for the perfect green monoculture lawn. Today's episode focuses on the chemical pollutants emitted by lawn care equipment into the air we breathe. Episode 5, How Lawn Care Contributes to Air Pollution. Many Americans faithfully tend to their bright green lawns under the false belief that it's good for them and the environment. We come to that belief by powerful messaging and advertising from the lawn care industry, a multi-billion dollar enterprise that's permeated our culture, our views of property value, even our views of beauty and nature. Here's an example advertisement from True Green last summer about how great a green lawn can be. In the video, there are many scenes of expanses of uniform bright green lawn and children and pets playing in the grass. Have a listen. The appearance of the lawn is an attractive feature at the center of any garden, but there's also a number of less known benefits provided by natural grass that are great assistance to the environment and your family's well-being. Lawns are not generally thought as oxygen-producing plants, but that's exactly what they are. Like all plants, the grasses in your lawn will take in carbon dioxide from the air and as part of the process of photosynthesis will help produce the oxygen you breathe. And did you know that a 250 meter squared lawn produces enough oxygen for the needs of a family of four for a day? Other benefits of natural grass include it staying cooler during high temperatures, the average lawn produces in the region of 300 miles of roots, the grass blades protect the topsoil against erosion, wind and rain, helps prevent the runoff of water and possible flooding, so there is far more to the grasses in the lawn than there are green and grow. Natural grass is also the most hygienic of surfaces, as the growing and respiratory aspects of the plant and the regular mowing make it self-cleaning. And given that it is less abrasive in your skin, it allows for a wider range of activities, making natural grass not only an environmentally sound choice, but one that adds many benefits to you, your family, and the world at large. It sure seems like a green lawn with all those blades of grass soaking up carbon dioxide as they do their photosynthesis thing must be good for the environment. 
And sure, it's got to be better than a dirt lot, right? Actually, evidence is piling up that grass monoculture lawns are actually worse than dirt lots. And there are many, many better alternatives from a lawn of mixed types of ground cover that you don't really need to mow, including dandelions, clover, native thyme, different types of grasses, to a beautiful flowering meadow or a grove of trees or shrubs. It's time to pull back the curtain about the polluting nature of our lawn obsession. The equipment and chemicals that are used to maintain the perfect green monoculture lawn are toxic to the air and water and contribute to air pollution and carbon emissions. A green grassy monoculture is a toxic wasteland and a huge source of climate changing emissions and health damaging toxins in the air we breathe. There are more than 40 million acres of lawn, sometimes called turf grass, in the U.S. alone. A NASA satellite study estimated more than 63,000 square miles of turf. That's 2% of the usable land in the U.S. covered in a monoculture of grass including 700,000 athletic fields, more than 14,000 golf courses, and lots and lots of home yards and city green spaces. For some states, the turf takes up 20% of the available land. Not surprisingly, the lawn coverage is most prevalent in areas where people live, in cities, towns, and hugely in suburban areas. In 2020, a report was issued by the Princeton Student Climate Initiative. This group of undergraduate and graduate students conduct important research and then get the word out through the internet and through other initiatives to tackle some of the many ways we harm the environment around us. They note in their report that because the majority of lawns are maintained by gas-powered mowers, blowers, and whackers, it's estimated that upwards of 800 million gallons of gasoline are combusted each year and close to 17 million gallons are spilled. This spillage is a surprisingly big number, but I know that when I've poured gas into my lawnmower's tank, I almost always spill a little as I invert the plastic gas can towards the precariously balanced funnel that I've placed in the fill hole of the fuel tank. Altogether, the amount of spillage of fossil fuels associated with lawn equipment is larger than the amount of fuel that was spilled by the Exxon Valdez ecological disaster in 1989, where 11 million gallons were spilled. Most lawn mowers, blowers, and trimmers are way less efficient than car engines. In fact, it's estimated that running a lawnmower engine for an hour is equivalent to driving a gas-powered car 500 miles in terms of emissions and pollution. Hour for hour, mowers and blowers produce more ozone than all the cars in California combined. Lawnmowers have been estimated to be responsible for more than 5% of the air pollution just from the gas combustion alone. In a report written in 2015 based on 2011 measurements from the five most populous states, California, Florida, Illinois, New York, and Texas, the EPA estimated that gas-powered lawn equipment emitted 26.7 million tons of air pollutants, pollutants like benzene, formaldehyde, carbon monoxide, and other toxic chemicals. This represented 4% of all these toxic chemicals emitted. 
The equipment was also responsible for 43% of the volatile organic compounds and 50% of fine particles that hang in the air as smog and haze. The same study showed the gas-powered lawn equipment emitted 20 million tons of carbon monoxide, which is 12% of all the carbon monoxide emitted. And these emissions are at eye level, not way up in the atmosphere like factory smokestacks. And these numbers have continued to grow in the decades since the measurements were taken. Another major way that lawns contribute to air pollution and carbon emissions is through fertilizer use, something we focused on in the previous episode. Fertilizers are produced using fossil fuels and their very production contributes to the carbon emissions that are fueling climate change. An article I read that was published in 2018 gives some alarming numbers. The article was researched and written by Leonore Hitchler from one team in an EPUB called ONE, an acronym for Only Natural Energy. She reports in that article that homeowners apply 10 times more fertilizer than farmers do on food crops. I find that really hard to believe, but a report from the EPA in 2004, Americans applied over, over 70 million pounds of fertilizer. Most of this excess runs off into our waterways and lakes, resulting in toxic algal blooms that kill fish and render these water systems unusable. The nitrogen that's not taken up by the grass gets absorbed by soil organisms and nitrous oxide is produced as a metabolite and this gas is more heat trapping than carbon dioxide. It's also a toxin to inhale it as you play on your grass or garden. Something that receives very little attention from homeowners and other folks who live, work, and recreate near lawns is the effect of the dust and other particles that form dust storms while homeowners and landscape workers operate leaf blowers and other lawn equipment. That same 2015 EPA report concluded that fine particle suspensions account for 13% of all the particles emissions that are considered non-road. 90% of these emissions come from two-stroke engines like leaf blowers, trimmers, and chainsaws. What are these fine particles that are both visible as dust storms and invisible clouds that hang over our lawns and drift through our neighborhoods with breezes? The toxic plumes contain pesticides, fertilizers, pollen, grass fragments, leaf fragments, animal feces, mold, insect body parts, oils from pavements, toxic chemicals coming from gasoline, including benzene, formaldehyde, and many others. Maybe you don't care about breathing in all these particles while you use your leaf blower for an hour or so, but think of the harm to children, pets, the elderly in your neighborhood. What about the groundskeepers who breathe this in all day, every day? There's growing awareness and concern about the health consequences of breathing in these particles. Some particles are large enough to see as dust clouds, and some particles are so small that we usually can't even see them. Depending on their size, they can lodge in your lungs, causing inflammation and even tissue damage. The short-term effects, say, of breathing the dust while you're using your leaf blower include wheezing, coughing, sneezing, but what else is going on? If you have allergies or asthma, breathing in these suspended particles makes it worse. Over the longer term, lung diseases, including cancer and chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder, or COPD, can result. 
Children exposed are at risk for developing allergies, asthma, and damaged lung capacity. The exposure while young also sets the stage for various chronic disease conditions, including links to respiratory and heart disease when they grow up. The ozone emitted by lawn equipment hangs in the air for a long time. Breathing ozone leads to lung inflammation, chest pain, shortness of breath, throat pain and irritation, headache, and worsening of asthma and allergy. The incidence of asthma in the U.S. has been steadily increasing. About 25 million people in the U.S. have asthma. It's a leading cause of chronic disease in children. Asthma rates have increased by 43% between 1999 and 2018, according to the American Lung Association. Environmental pollutants like ozone and fine particles are known risk factors for developing asthma. Over this same period of time, lawn care equipment use has skyrocketed. There are two really important reasons we should care greatly about the emissions and pollutants coming from our lawn equipment use. One is the kind of emissions coming from our lawn equipment. A lot of the equipment have two-stroke engines that were first developed in the 1880s or four-stroke engines. In these engines, the oil lubricant mixes in with the fuel, and so the exhaust has lots of different chemicals besides carbon dioxide in it. Two-stroke engines have the most emissions, including unburned fuel, soots, which are different size particulates, ground-level ozone, nitrogen oxides, volatile organic chemicals like benzene, and others. These types of chemicals have been linked to all kinds of health hazards, including asthma, COPD, cancers, and more. The other crucial aspect to these emissions that we need to be aware of is the location of the emissions. These emissions come out of equipment that's operated by you or your lawn care service employees. It is breathed in right at the source, close proximity and high concentration. The chemicals and particulates also hang around in the low-lying air around your lawn and in your neighborhood for hours. You are poisoning yourself and all your neighbors every time you operate this equipment. This means that in a neighborhood like mine, every single day for nine or so months out of the year, these toxic fumes, chemicals, and particles are spewn into the air for us to breathe as we walk our dogs, play with our kids, wait at the bus stop, or even walk to the mailbox. The toxicity is equal to or greater than that of secondhand smoke, and yet we do not regulate these emissions. If you think about it, a cigarette takes about 10 minutes or so to smoke, while a leaf blower can continue to roar out its emissions for hours on end. Even if you don't care about the harmful effects of these toxic emissions to yourself or your neighbors, you ought to care about the health and well-being of the employees that you're paying to take care of your lawn. Some great news on the front of combating the toxic emissions of lawn equipment comes from California Governor Gavin Newsom. He signed a bill into law in California banning gas-powered lawn equipment and generators starting in 2024. And the state is helping landscaping companies purchase new electric equipment with vouchers and rebates to help them manage the costs of conversion. A growing number of cities, counties, and towns across the country are restricting the use of gas-powered leaf blowers to certain hours of the day 
or restricting their use on smaller properties in order to reduce the air and noise pollution. Maricopa County in California operates a mowing down pollution program to encourage businesses and homeowners to turn in their gas powered equipment to a special recycle location that's right at Home Depot and receive a voucher towards the cost of an electric or battery operated alternative at the Home Depot. There's also a growing demand for quieter, cleaner and greener alternatives like electric or solar powered equipment. There are also some landscape companies that have replaced their gas-powered equipment with quieter battery-operated equipment. The massive industry is, of course, resisting these initiatives, but as more and more evidence accumulates about the harmful effects of these devices on our health and on our environment, we might begin to once again be able to actually hear something other than lawn equipment when we enjoy some time outside, and we might be able to breathe some fresher, cleaner air. I had the great pleasure to talk with an innovative lawn care and landscaping company owner who uses only electric equipment. Eric Chase began an all-electric and human-powered lawn care and landscaping company about six years ago called The Greener We, servicing the Buffalo, New York area. We talked about the benefits and challenges of switching to all-electric equipment. Here's our interview. Hi, Eric, and thanks for coming to the podcast today. So um, before we kind of get started, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about you and how you came to start your all-electric lawn care business called The Greener We. You know, how did you get your business off the ground and what led you to want to do this kind of business? So I've been in the industry for uh, 30 plus years and uh, I started to uh, migrate away from that and there came to a point where I had to get back into something else. I went back to school in 2015 and got a business degree. And as my strengths in this business were in that kind of mowing, I took my soul savings and uh, invested that into a company that was somewhat at its infancy, Mean Green Products, they're in Ohio. And they're pretty much the sole provider for this kind of commercial lawn mowing equipment. Wow, I didn't realize that there's only one provider. Well, it's uh, changing rapidly. Uh, there's an expo every year, the GIE, that takes place uh, in the Midwest. And each year they start to bring out some prototypes. And then this year there's uh, Greenworks has some other equipment. And everybody's trying to dip their toe in the pond. You know, s- simple as it may sound, I enjoyed cutting grass. And I saw some profit in that. But the, that would be a, a blockage point for me was the noise and the smell and uh, just the general inconvenience of operating gas-powered lawn equipment. So it's worked out just the way I planned. I don't regret my decision at all. Yeah, absolutely. And you're you're just at the very beginning of this wave of change, which I'm very excited to, to learn more about. It's inevitable that it's going to happen, and the companies know that, and the consumers like myself know that. So that's how it's, it's going to happen, and it's exciting to see the transition. It's all about uh, cost price right now. That's great. You know, one of the things that you'd mentioned when we had our um, phone conversation the other day is the incredible impact of these carbon emissions and spilled fuel. And you have some information about this on your website. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit more about that aspect of things. Well, certainly, like I was saying, uh, 
the inconvenience and the smell of the gas and the toxicity of that, the carrying of it, all those things are eliminated. Generally, as a number that in my research I found is over a million gallons of gas are spilled fueling lawn and garden equipment. So that would include tractors and handheld things are where, in my experience, that's where it's mostly spilled. And that's where it's easiest to replace the things with electric. Uh, tractors are just getting there right now, but there's trimmers galore. And uh, that's where you see the most of the fuel spilled and that's eliminated. So that's helpful. Oh, wow. I hadn't realized that about the trimmers. Let's talk some more about the electric equipment, the trimmers, blowers, mowers, and your current operating setup. Are they harder to operate or heavier loaded down with their batteries? No, nah, they're lighter and they're uh, just easier to use. There's no more. So that's one thing that I hated was pulling that cord and that never happens at all. You flick a switch, it turns on and the battery goes dead. So I have uh, solar assisted charging in my trailer. There's storage batteries there that charge the batteries that go onto the handheld devices. So it's just a matter of, for me, and, and where I am in the lawn industry, I can switch those batteries out and I'm never without uh, power. Right. And then once they buy an electric trimmer, I can tell you, no one will ever go back. It's so much better, so much lighter, faster. And they're coming out so fast. You, if you don't like the one you got, go buy another one. <laughs> they're, they're coming out so fast, but they will last twice as long. That's great. That's great. How long does it take to to charge? Like if you only had one set of batteries, how long does it take to to charge? I guess it would depend on the machine, but in general. Yeah, generally the handheld devices charge and, and are, are developing so quick. They, uh, they charge pretty quickly, half an hour. You can charge one of those batteries. My biggest mower, 48 inches wide, it's a stand-on mower. That's a seven- kilowatt hour battery and that will really generally charge overnight that that one's charged on the grid right now uh you can't really charge a battery that large directly off the of solar panels i can supplement it as needed through the storage batteries there but uh did you say that you have solar panels on your truck as well on top of the trailer, yeah, there's uh, solar panels that come down through an uh, inverter and a controller, and then there's four gel batteries, uh, storage batteries. So I probably have about 20 kilowatt hours of storage capacity in there. Now that's a figure off the top of my head, but there's four huge marine style gel batteries. You couldn't really do it without that sort of a system in my opinion. There are guys that are, carry a bushel full of batteries with them and they just rotate them throughout the day. And at the end of the day, they go back to their shop and they charge all those batteries. And that's a possibility as well. It's a little bit, I guess, different investment. Yeah, Might be more, right? Cause I spent a bushel on the panels and the inverter and the storage batteries. And they'll spend a bushel on the handheld batteries. Mm -hmm. as opposed to building my system. So it's kind of a trade-off and it really depends on where you're at and how much money you got in your bucket at that time. It's only a matter of time before the electric equipment replaces the gas powered. It's just a question of how slowly will we move? And I, I have a feeling, you know, you're, you're the beginning, but I have a feeling it's about to really take off. Maybe first with homeowners 
Oh, it's definitely um, happening with homeowners. I could tell you in the last two years, if you go into Home Depot or three years in the last two, three years, you, you go in there and it was maybe two or three electric things and the rest was gas. And then the next year you go in there and it's 50, 50. And now you go in there and it's hard to find a gas trimmer. It's hard to find again. They're just going to force your people's hands. And I feel truthfully, especially with the feedback that I get on these professional pages and the professionals that I follow, if you don't force their hands, they're not going to do it. Yeah. He's yep. not going to do it. They oh, I love my gas trimmer. And so they get really passionate about that. And they're very passionate about these regulations that are happening. I mean, to be truthful, it doesn't mean they have to give up the gas trimmer that they have. It just means once it breaks, they can't go buy another one. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. If you love gas so much, keep it running. <laughs> and, and the truthful, the truth of the matter is, it doesn't work that way. Gas yeah. that breaks frequently. It's terrible. It's noisy. It's smelly, and it breaks a lot. And, and you're going to have to replace it. But that's the thing. They make the gas trimmer so cheap that you just throw it out. You just throw it out and buy another one. So now we got to tie. Now we got to tie your hands behind your back. What types of challenges have you faced as you um, that maybe both the beginning of a business, if someone were to want to get into electric lawn care as a business option for themselves, um, and also sort of ongoing challenges that that you face as a sort of a pioneer in an area that's surrounded by gas powered machines? A great deal of the challenges that I face, I think even a gas guy would face. Right. And right now, just like everybody else in the small business world, you're looking at labor difficulties mostly. And in my field, even maybe a little bit more so, generally in the hard labor field, difficult to find people that are willing at the, the comparative wages to do that. So that's a challenge that I'm facing now. I sort of started my business older than most guys. And what I'd like to see is a, a young people being excited about this. If you were going to do, like if you're passionate about what I do, or if you chose to do it out of even necessity, uh, the electric comparison, the cost savings, the profit change differences uh, are pretty significant. Right? And uh, as, even as a solo operator, it's uh, ha I'm happy with the profit. If you're younger, you have a little bit better uh, chance of getting the financing or, or seeing the difference. Uh, even if you go to the websites for these mowers, that's how they uh, market them to you is uh, we understand you're going to get a huge sticker shock, right? They generally can cost as twice as much as a gas mower. And uh, that turns a lot of guys off. Recently, uh, there's a federal incentive if your uh, battery is big enough. So this only really applies to the bigger mowers. There's a tax rebate there. And in some states, a consumer can get a tax credit for retaining my services as long as I operate my system predominantly off-grid or predominantly without gas. And uh, I, well, I hope to see that kind of thing happening. And, and, and that goes hand in hand with the, the government working to kind of phase out these handheld things. That's happening at the same time. I mean, so for guys that are... are do in this industry, you know, they're, they're looking for those tax breaks that bring down the cost of the equipment. Uh, at the same time, they're frustrated with the government because they're kind of forcing these guys' hands to do it. Right. That's such an important issue to bring up. 
Well, that's good. So, so in other words, you can make a living doing this, even if it, if it is, um, sort of a challenging. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if, if you can't wrap your mind around having employees or you can't find the employees, it's still a doable thing. And, uh, I would recommend that they would consider where they are. If you want to get your return. So it's generally as low as 10% to operate an electric mower compared to a gas mower, the cost over a long period of time, you'll get your investment back. So for guys that mow 32 to 52 weeks out of the year, they get their money back a lot faster. Me, I got to wait six years and my mower's paid off. But I mean, that's yeah. those are the things you might want to consider as considering electric equipment or electric lawn maintenance as a profession. Yeah, yeah, those are really good pointers. And uh, you you had mentioned that there's um, a, sort of a growing, it's slow growing, but a growing group of electric lawn care professional operations, like in California. I had heard that there's actually a movement in Denver, Colorado, because they're experiencing a real housing boom and lawn care boom. Um, so if there's someone who's looking to, to make this change and try to find out about how do you get started, are there, is there an organization for these professionals that I could put sort of a plug in for? Well, you could say, uh, as I indicated to you uh, on Facebook, there's a couple few pages, professional pages, electric lawn professionals that they could go to and uh, put up post questions and uh, talk to guys like me and get some positive feedback and truthful advice. I mean, you just do what I did. I, I put commercial lawn equipment into, this was six years ago. And that's how I came up with this company that uh, I invested my money into. Generally through Facebook is the best way to do that. I'm, I'm wondering your, um, your clients, are they drawn to your services because they're, they're concerned about the impact of gas powered equipment or the noise of things or environmental, you know, what kind of motivates your clients, do you think? So personally, in my experience, I mean, that's why I built my website and uh, you knew this area, like the urban Buffalo area, uh, I saw a, a groundswell in that direction. We're one of the only cities in the country that have a, initiated a green code for all new development in the city. So that was, Another part of my motivation in choosing the electric equipment, but uh, in terms of customers, with all even that website and this groundswell that I anticipated, not a lot, you know. And that might be just because I I was fortunate. I did find my first major customer who or client managed and held you know thirty plus properties. She is very young and active in the preservation movement and the green code. She actually wrote some of that. And uh, so, yes, in that sense, yes. She, and she's a mover and a shaker and, and God bless her help that she helped me. Uh, but in terms of the small residential guys, uh, it's more about your work. If you're a good mm -hmm. worker and uh, you take pride in your work and they, they'll notice when you're there. And I often get, oh, we didn't even know you were here because they're quiet, right? We don't even know, they don't even know that you're there. And the neighbors will know, say, hey, boy, that's really quiet. And they might initiate a talk about a new contract. 
Yeah, I have to say that, you know, I live in Poughkeepsie and if only Poughkeepsie was next door to Buffalo, I mean, I would hire you in a heartbeat. <laughs> and if anyone, if anyone in my neighborhood, I am part of part of the podcast, I talk about my, my neighborhood and all the lawn care that we have going on here. But honestly, if there was a quiet electric lawn care service operating in my neighborhood, I would run up to them and say, Hey, can I have your card? You that was know? kind of funny. I was, uh, uh, I was fortunate enough to be covered by two different local news programs. And they did a brief story about me on two different to the two major ones, zero recognition. And that's on YouTube. And that really didn't uh, make a big, my phone didn't go off the hook there. So like I said, I'm at capacity right now. And and so I haven't really even marketed that. I think if I told more people, I would meet more people like you. I, yeah. I do, as I go through my route, I do quite a few properties, over a hundred. And uh, so I meet people all day and they are often, well, I can't even believe that's a lawnmower. They, they, I've never seen anything like that. I get a ton of that. I'm happy with how it's all worked out. Honest well, to God, I couldn't get any more business than I have now. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add or any advice that you'd like to share with the audience? I, I would want them to uh, give it an honest chance. What I see a lot, and I'm exchanging with the lawn professionals, both electric and gas, and I just see a lot of nonsense rebuttal. Standing off against each other, and I would ask people to go into it with an open mind, talk to guys like me, do your honest research, and you're going to find out that it's a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah. It really is a no-brainer. I don't regret it in the slightest bit, and I hate generally didn't like doing this before electric stunt came along. I hated the smell, the noise, the gas. Uh, it's just all this stuff is terrible. Yeah, it, it is terrible. now it's pleasurable. I enjoy my job. True story, I can go into my trailer, which is an enclosed trailer, and it doesn't bother me at all. It smells a little bit like grass and sometimes dogs, unfortunately. <laughs> It's just been so wonderful to have you on the podcast today, Eric. I'm just so very grateful. Nice. It was really great to have you on. So take care, and I, I wish you well this season. Excellent, Kate. Thank you very much. All right. Nice to meet you, Eric. Nice to meet you as well. Take care. I hope you'll consider electric-powered lawn equipment as well as converting 30% of your lawn area to native flowers and plants. This is Kate Sussman, and you've been listening to Episode 5 of the series Toxic Lawn. I hope you'll tune in for the next episode, where I will continue to explore the toxic assaults of the thunderous noise from the lawn equipment we use, and the noise pollution effects on our health and that of the wildlife around us. The music for today's show comes to you from Jason Shaw at Audionautics.com. And some of the sound effects come from freesound.com. Thanks for tuning in.